We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the 1991 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Michigan. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, welcome into another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. We are recording this live on a Friday night following the game against the Jazz. This is Richie, and I'm going to be recapping this probably solo. Um, Spencer may join us later on the phone here, uh, but he was in person at the Spectrum Center tonight, so maybe we can get him as this like on-the-scene correspondent. I'm not sure if he'll be able to join or not, but we are going to be recapping the game that just finished about 10 minutes ago, a 107-101 victory for the Charlotte Hornets, bumping their record up to 38 and 36. And as always, as we're here in Twitter spaces, if we have any speaker requests, I should be able to carve out time to get to those as well. Uh, before we get into the pod, I wanted to remind you guys of two things. Uh, number one, as always, we love a rating and review on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. We always love reading those things. And then number two, uh, if you have a Twitter account, which obviously those of you in here right now do, uh, and you would love to be part of the Hornets community on Twitter, uh, there's going to be a link in the episode notes to join, or you can just go to our BuzzBeat Pod Twitter account and find that link and just request to join the Twitter community. I'm not really sure how it works fully yet, uh, but we're going to give it a go. So it's it, it looks like it's just like a almost like a message board or some kind of like conversation that you can have on Twitter where it's private and it doesn't get posted to your public feed on Twitter. So those are the two things that I just wanted to remind you guys of before we get into this. So again, huge game for Charlotte at home, 107-101 victory over the Jazz. They finished their homestand at 4-1. and one. I thought going into this game, it'd be a 3-2 and two homestand going up against the Utah Jazz General thoughts early on this game. I thought when we saw that first quarter, when it first started, like the early offensive rebounds, Jazz getting to all those 50-50 balls, it kind of got them off to a fast start. And it felt very similar to the previous game against the Knicks, where 
The Hornets just couldn't overcome that slow first quarter start, but they took a timeout. They weathered the storm. And then from there on out, it was a back and forth game between both of these teams. The three point shooting kept the Hornets in the game in the first quarter, really productive quarter for Rozier as he scored, I think eight of the first nine points. And I think he was like three of three first quarter from distance in the second quarter. I I thought the Hornets defense stepped up. And then in the second half, it just really was a a back and forth game. Donovan Mitchell was awesome uh, for the jazz. Neither team could really pull ahead, but I will say this. It was a very mature win for the Hornets, a team that has struggled at times down the stretch and to pull out a, a victory against a team that plays on both ends of the court, like the jazz does like I just think it's it's a mature victory for the Hornets and uh, I'll go ahead and get into some of my like individual player performances but before I get to the big three I do want to give a quick mention of two players here Isaiah Thomas and Mason Plumley, and we'll get to the big three Ashley Shamani calls them the QC3 I'm not sure if I totally on board with that that nickname I guess it rhymes but anyway both of those players, Thomas and Plumley, didn't play a ton, right? Like there was a very similar aspect to the game. They didn't play a ton, but when they were in the game, they were efficient and they made an impact. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, I think he was one of three from behind the arc tonight or one of two, but where he made most of his um, buckets were inside the arc. Uh, he had a couple of driving baskets in the first quarter. And then he had this like very high arcing hook shot over the seven one go bear in the fourth quarter. It just feels like anytime this guy gets in the game, he makes big shots. And obviously you guys have heard the news where he signed throughout the rest of the season. And then Mason Plumley, same thing, not a, not a ton of minutes. Uh, and I think a lot of that was matchup based. I think when you play go bear, your, your goal or your objective is to try to draw him out of the paint uh, because he's so good down there and, and blocking shots and, I will say that the Hornets did a good job of trying to score around him. And I think they did a good job in that, but Mason only played six minutes in the first half. And and like I mentioned, I I don't think it was anything that he was doing wrong. It's just that it wasn't the perfect matchup. But what I will say is when he came out in the third quarter, he was probably the best player in those first five minutes for the Hornets, just because he gave energy on both ends of the court He had several offensive rebounds. He finished the game with four offensive rebounds in just 16 minutes of play. He was being physical with Gobert down on the block and just being overall active on both ends. And and then one thing I just noticed with Mason, not necessarily in this game specifically, but overall, I I feel like he's a very smart and aware basketball player. Like he's he's often directing players on the court. You can see him and communicating uh, with his teammates and it's almost like he see things develop as almost like a point guard would. So do want to give out a shout out to Isaiah Thomas and Mason uh, Plumley. Obviously not the best players in this game, but when they did make an impact, it was for those short stints. And uh, I think without them, this game would have been very different. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, 
the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll go ahead and highlight the the top three players on the Hornets, and then I'll I'll pick my player of the game. I'm really kind of deciding in the moment here, so I don't really know who my player of the game is. But Lamella Ball, I'll start with him. He was very, very good tonight. His three-point shot was falling here and there. I guess it was two, it was two of six, so it wasn't the greatest. Um, but he was very good at dictating the pace and knowing when to get downhill. He had a different challenge tonight going up against Gobert in his presence because Gobert likes to drop so deep. He forces you to shoot that mid-range shot and take away shots at the rim. And Lamella really doesn't have a pull-up mid-range shot, as I mentioned on a recent podcast, but he has that running floater. And he pulled off several of these fairly smoothly. I remember one in the second quarter where it felt like that was the perfect opportunity to pull up from 14 feet, but he was just running and he makes the floater as Gobert was backpedaling. He also had this amazing drive to the right side of the hoop where he basically switched to his inside hand. And I think if he didn't do this, like even though he was shooting on the right side of the basket, if he shot with his right hand, I think that, I think it was Hernan Gomez that was actually defending him probably would have blocked it, or maybe Lamella would have missed it altogether. Just obviously a very, very creative player. And to think about going in your inside hand as you're driving right, not a lot of players can think about that you know, in the moment and, and pull it off. And I think where Lamella had his biggest impact was the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, very good running layup high off the glass over Gobert. So like I said, I think the Hornets did a good job of game planning, knowing that Gobert was down there. They had to hit the floaters. They had to hit the runners. Uh, They had to shoot the ball high off the glass. And he did a great job there. He also had like a free safety steal on the back end on like this, I don't know, it was kind of like a semi-lob to Gobert, which led to transition offense the other way. I think it led to some free throw shots. And there was like a short spell where he sat in the middle of the fourth quarter, but he came back in and basically played the rest of the game. I know there was some situational stuff at the end. So LaMelo Ball, very, very good tonight. I think I'm considering him for like the player of the game, but you've also got to focus on Miles Bridges. 
you know, more of his usual self with his drives. He has like, he has the power, he has the finesse, he has the athletic ability, but he's also very controlled when he gets closer to the rim. So, you know, he might spin a lot or, or come at, at you with a lot of power and, and jump off of two feet and withstand power, but he still does a very good job of finishing with control uh, up against anyone, but especially players like Gobert. Uh, I remember in the fourth quarter, it almost looked like he wanted to posterize him on that baseline drive and just a very efficient shooting game as well. I think he didn't miss a shot in the third quarter and Miles Bridges finished with 26 points, uh, nine of 15 from the field, four of nine from three and 11 total rebounds. And then Terry Rozier, like I mentioned earlier, I think the three point shooting in the first quarter, especially from him, kept this team in the game. He was a huge component in that. He, like LaMelo, had a very good driving layup in the second quarter that you know had a high degree of difficulty. He switched hands midair. You know, I, I think I am enjoying Rozier's game. I know that he pounds the rock a lot, but we're seeing more from him inside the arc. He's not just this movement shooter. He's got a little bit more of this all-around score, and you're starting to see little pieces of his game develop inside the arc, the the mid-range shot, the floater, the the layups and stuff like that. He's doing things with high degree of difficulty, and I think when most outside fans think of Rozier, he's a movement shooter. He's a three-point shooter, but I think he's slowly picking up things inside the arc as well. Not only did he have timely threes in the first quarter, He also capped it off in the fourth quarter as well with like, I think two or three huge three-point shots that fell late in the fourth quarter. So those three players, I think, were in contention for player of the game. And if I had to be decisive and choose one, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. But I'm going to go with LaMelo Ball just because of the way that he dictated the pace, um, some of his creative moves. I thought the start to the fourth quarter was huge. Um, and, uh, so I, I don't think you can go wrong, but I'm gonna go ahead and pick LaMelo ball as the player of the game. Okay. I'm going to end this podcast with a question that I got from, I can't remember who I got it from. I'm, I'm got to go back and look at the tweets, but basically it says of the top four teams in the East, which team would be the most favorable matchup for the Hornets. Now, and obviously this is a hypothetical cause it's not like the Hornets can choose who they want to play. We've got the heat. We've got the Bucks, we've got the 76ers, and we've got the Celtics. And I'm going to run through each of these teams, and I, I just listed them in the order of their standings currently as of today. And I'm going to go through these teams and see how I think the Hornets can match up against them. Now, this is this is really just a Sophie's choice here because there's not really a, a suitable opponent for the Hornets to play in the first round. But if you had to choose one, which one would be the most favorable for the Hornets to face? So let's start with the Heat. I think I think at a quick glance, the Heat seem like they might be the most favorable matchup of the four, maybe considering how they're playing right now. Uh, they don't necessarily have that imposing big, which inevitably always gives Charlotte some kind of trouble and has in the past. But there's something about them that just doesn't feel right to me for the Hornets. Number one, I think... Their three-point shooting with uh, Duncan Robinson, uh, P.J. Tucker, Tyler Hero, I think that would be killer. I, I think that they their offense is one that loves to get it at the elbow with Adebayo, collapse the defense, and kick it out to the corners. Historically, the Hornets don't do well with teams that wear out the corners. I know that the Jazz, even tonight, uh, were wearing out those corner threes. 
And then number two, I think the Heat's defense with Butler, Adebayo, Tucker would just frustrate the Hornets. They're they're going to slow the game down in the half court, and that's something I don't think the Hornets can get into against any team, but especially not the Heat. Opponents are dead last in terms of time to shot when they play Miami. So they, they slow teams down to a very methodical pace. So I was tempted to say the Heat when I first saw this question, but the more that I think about it, the more I don't like that matchup. The Hornets are actually 0-3 against Miami this year. Not that that means everything, because obviously some of the games come earlier in the season and teams change throughout the course of the season. But I don't necessarily think the heat of the top four teams are the most favorable matchup. And also what bugs me about that team is they are a team that's able to sway the refs in late game situations with their complaining. And that, that would just get on my nerves. So I guess I would want to avoid the heat too for that specific situation. But um, as it stands today, that's the team. If the Hornets make the eighth seed, they will be playing the heat depending on, you know, if the heat can hold off for that number one seed, Uh, the bucks, I think going up against the defending champs will also be a difficult feat, especially with the inability to guard Giannis and the return of Brooke Lopez. That makes the team probably probably the least likely team that I would want to face if I were the Hornets. You know, Brooke Lopez adds so much for that team. He can stretch the floor as a five. He's also not afraid to body down the post if he realizes there's some kind of mismatch. And defensively, he plays so well, especially in that drop coverage and protecting the rim. I think that his presence now that I think he's played like a handful of games with the Bucks, he's slowly going to find his way within that team. And uh, that team definitely missed him when he was gone. And then, you know, Drew Holiday as well. Like he's a great perimeter defender. You place him on LaMelo. Um, I know that Holiday kind of had an underwhelming playoffs last year. I think he got better as the, the playoffs went along, but he scares me as a perimeter defender and you place them on LaMelo, and you, and you kind of stop the initial action, I think the Hornets would be frustrated there. And then you've got Middleton as well, who's got that mid-range game. So I, I would not favor the Bucks either. So I actually think the Bucks would be my least favorite team to go up against in the first round. And then these next two teams, I go back and forth on who would be the more suitable opponent for the Hornets. So I'm going to outline my, my thoughts on these last two. So we have the 76ers and the Celtics. And if I had to choose between the two, I think I, I, think I have one, um, but I could probably be convinced otherwise. This year, the Hornets are 1-2 against Philadelphia and 1-3 against Boston. And I think going up against Embiid with Philadelphia is obviously a tough task. But I might actually consider this matchup a little bit more desirable Definitely more desirable than the previous two mentioned against the Heat and against Milwaukee. But I, I think you can maybe maybe you can make the case that the Sixers are gonna like pick up steam heading towards this final stretch as Harden continues to figure out how to play with Embiid, how he plays with Maxi, and maybe the case to play against Philly is a silly one to make. But my hope would be that the the 76ers get in this rut offensively because I think of all four teams, their offense has that capability uh, to get in a rut. And maybe the Hornets offense, you know, has a hot stretch and, and they're powerful enough to outscore the Sixers. So that would be my case for the 76ers. Now the Celtics, they, they scare me too. I was actually in attendance for the last game that the Hornets played against the Celtics. And I think if you looked at the first half of the season, this would be a no brainer. You'd, uh, you'd be lining up to play Boston over these other three teams. But the Celtics have found another gear 
on the defensive side of the court. They've really found their groove um, under Udoka since January 1st. They're number one in the NBA in defense and number one in point differential. And offensively, they're obviously scary too. Like Tatum is just playing out of this world. He he killed the Hornets the last time they played each other. He's a player that can get off 40 points and score it so easily. He can do it off the catch. He can do it off the dribble, and that's probably more important in a playoff series. And there's times when he just makes shots and there's, and whether it's good defense or contested shots, he still has the ability to go off. And then you've got Brown, you've got the lob threat of Robert Williams, which tends to give the Hornets some issues. And then smart is a pest defensively. I feel that this matchup could be, could be challenging. Now, if they revert back to some of their like November and December tendencies, Maybe you can make the case it's the Celtics that you would want to face, but I, I just can't I can't see that happening. I, mean, I feel like they've found their groove on the defensive side of the court. They are who they are at this point in the season. You rarely see teams start to peak and kind of revert back to their previous ways. So to answer this question, I, I would love to know your guys' thoughts as well, whether it's through a tweet or a DM. Just let us know. In terms of these top four teams in the East right now, what what is the preferred matchup? And I think I'll go I'll go Sixers number one, which is crazy to think of, considering how much trouble the Hornets have had with Embiid. I'll go Celtics number two, three the Heat, and four the Bucks. But you could probably make a case for any of those teams, and none of these are preferred. Hornets are not going to have a choice when they make the play in. They're either going to be the seventh seed or the eighth seed, or they're not making the playoffs altogether. So. We will see. But big game tonight for the Hornets. Huge win at home. It was a sellout, according to NBA.com. I'm going to go ahead and wrap here. I appreciate everyone for joining me here in Twitter spaces. I actually thought it would be less people in here considering all the college basketball games that are going on right now. If you guys tuned in late, the full podcast will be out tomorrow morning, Saturday. And as always, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's the best way to help us. We appreciate y'all. Have a good weekend. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.